and welcome to We Bought a Mic, a pop culture podcast here with another Spike Lee joint. If you listen to our Do the Right Thing discussion, then we have another uh, film from the man himself here with Inside Man, 2006 Denzel collab. Um, a little bit of a more kind of mainstream, sort of down the middle, um, uh, approachable film from Mr. Spike Lee. We we wanted to to still be in the the Spike Lee realm because his new uh, movie Defy Bloods is coming out this week. Uh, but we also didn't want to dive into another sort of ultra heady, uh, you know, really socially conscious. Um, kind of difficult experience to endure type of movie. So this is more of like a a fun sort of heist-esque type of uh, film, but still from the man himself, from Mr. Spike Lee um, behind the camera. So we're going to get into it, and uh, it's going to be a good time. I'm Ernest. I am Hunter. Oh, Okay, I was yeah, wondering. Just, just, just Hunter. Just I'm Drew, and that's me. And uh, yeah, I had never seen Inside Man before until this week. I know that you were a big fan. You never caught it on cable? I don't think so. So here's, I, I was the one who recommended Inside Man uh, to keep things a little bit light. And also because this is the first Spike Lee movie that I ever saw as a kid. Um, it came out in 2006. So I was about... 11 or 12 at the time and my sister was uh 18 so she saw this movie in theaters i believe two or three times and absolutely loved this movie and as soon as i remember like as soon as it came out at blockbuster she was like we're getting this and we're watching this the day of and i had probably seen this movie like four or five times if not more than that just because it was a big cable movie, um, but it's been so long since I have seen it that the only thing I remembered was the basic premise about the bank robbery and the opening song of this movie. The I just always know that song. It will forever be in my head. Um, so what did you guys think about Inside Man? I mean, it's crazy seeing this after watching Do the Right Thing because it feels like almost a completely different director. I mean, there are these tiny little moments here and there that the guy who made do the right thing sort of pokes out a little bit. Um, and you do get the, the cool framing, the cool camera movement, um, the little bits of social commentary here and there. Cause it is another New York set movie, but it doesn't have that same sort of, uh, socially conscious, uh, really like on the pulse of society punch that do the right thing has, which is, which is fine. You know, not every movie has to have like a huge message and a huge, um, you know, kind of, uh, um, agenda with, wanting to like say something big about America or, or humanity or society. That's totally fine. But I'm just saying like going directly from do the right thing to inside man, it was like, Whoa, this is the same guy. Um, so good for spike. You know, I hope he got paid. I hope. He oh, he, good. yeah, he got fucking paid. Yeah. This movie was a $45 million budget with a $184 million return. Um, and, I mean, what we can get, I don't know if we can get into it now. I want to hear your thoughts, Drew, but he got to work with a fucking phenomenal cast. And, you know, I don't, I don't think anybody in this movie gives their best performance ever. Uh, I think they're all better in other movies, but just seeing them all in the same movie was a treat. That, yeah, I, I kind of come down on that side of things, uh, that's one of the things I wrote down is uh, no one is at their best in this movie. Not that they're at their worst, uh, but I, what hamstrings this movie for me is the script uh, and it hamstrings it a decent amount to the point where, because 
Uh, speaking toward the acting quality in the movie, uh, there's nothing that you could take away. And then speaking toward the directing, Spike Lee is not approaching it with the same meticulousness that he approached his early movies. And that's really clear. Uh, but he's still Spike Lee and there's still a lot of uh, dynamic, impressive things happening with the camera uh, and like, you know, cool little editing uh, flair choices that work out. But it's all in service of a very, very average script, in my opinion. Uh, it did not get me going. I think essentially this crime procedurals have just they were like in full swing when this movie came out. And this is like I would say it's a letter grade writing wise above a Law and Order episode. Um, well, like we a should single say Spike Lee did not write this movie. It no, is written it was by a, Russell Gur, Gur, Gerwitz. Gerwitz. Um, and you can tell because the the writing in Do the Right Thing was so pitch perfect, like so fun and snazzy, but also like cool and laid back and really smart and intelligent and full of like intellectual concepts and ideas. Uh, and And this one, it's fun. Like it, you, Hunter is chomping at the bit right now. It, it's I don't think it's a bad script, but it kind of annoyed me a couple times with the places that it felt like it wanted to go. Like it wanted to say some things about New York. It wanted to say some things about like violence, uh, some things about like racial profiling other things I, I don't want to get too spoilery, but like about um, just general like evil in humanity and it never quite like commits or like really goes down any of those roads. And yeah, it, it introduces ideas. Uh, it doesn't like effectively explore them all to me. Right. I, I agree. I'm I'm disappointed in both of you guys. I just <laughs> I tried to pick a movie that was a genre film, which is something that Spike Lee has done a number of his genre films that, yes, they don't have the big grand race relations, but this is like the best possible version of a bank heist movie. This is one of the best bank heist movies ever made. Like, I, I think that this movie is absolutely incredible. I think that Spike Lee knocks it out of the park. Denzel, of course, is amazing. Clive Owen is incredible in this movie. He is unbelievably like that calm menace about him. There's one particular moment in the movie where they say like where they're talking about him and they're like, oh, you sound very calm like right now while he's doing this. He is so in control of yeah. every little thing that is happening in this movie. And the way that plays off is incredible. By the way, Clive Owen, unbelievable 2006 between this and Children of Men. Well, the same, same for Chuatel Ejiofor. And Chuatel Ejiofor um, also had a big 2006. That was kind of a coming out party for Chuatel Ejiofor. Um, but I I just, I think this movie is, it just kicks so much ass. Like I saw this movie and I was like, oh yeah, this is why I love this movie. Because it's, I understand having some problems with the dialogue itself, but I think that the way that this movie is paced is perfect. It never drags at any point. I think it's why it became such a big cable movie is because it's one of those things where you can just hop on a scene. And you're like, oh, so the second hostage right now is yeah. coming out. Like, OK, now I'm in for now well, at this gets, point for the next 30 minutes. It gets into minutes. it immediately. Like, yeah, there's pretty no much within the first five, ten minutes, like the the hostage situation begins. It yes. doesn't waste any time at the, at the beginning. Um, I also, I think we'll get into it more because I'm wondering if you're writing, if some of your issues come in the Jodie Foster, Christopher Plummer yeah. angle. Um, so that's something that I didn't really care for, but now seeing it a number of times, Spike Lee and, uh, um, the uh, Russell Gerwitz, who wrote the screenplay, are really tapping into something. It's less having to do with race relations, but it is something that Spike Lee hasn't done a stuff, a ton of stuff about, which is about financial divide and how people make their money and like kind of looking into the people in power. And I think yeah, that corruption that is power. Very, and I think that that is very, very pertinent. It's Spike Lee in a different way than we're used to seeing Spike Lee. 
But I also think aside from that, this movie is just so much fun. It's just I don't know how you get like yeah. how you can watch this movie and just well, not, I like, mean, if I have had, a fucking blast while watching be, it, I, I think it's because if I had seen this in high school, I would have loved it. Um, but now it to me is it's like what Limitless is to me, half jokingly, but where I just enjoy watching it because it's like stupid and fun. Uh, but the difference is this, this movie, movie is was, so much better than limitless. Well, it, it's of course it's better than limitless, <laughs> but like <laughs> it's, it's smarter, but it's, it less leans into the fun when it really fucking should. And that's comes down to the script because you have Denzel fucking Washington in this movie who, when let loose by someone like Spike Lee can do literally anything in front of the camera. He's one of maybe the five best actors in his prime ever to live. Uh, and he's hamstrung for a large part of this movie. Uh, because of this, <laughs> he's delivering law and order dialogue. Uh, and then when he is left to improvise, which is in all of the best scenes, which is all of the interrogation scenes, those are the best fucking scenes in the movie because I... they're electric. They have something, they have a feeling to them that is not something I've seen on TV 300 times. I love Denzel Washington, and I'm so sad that he has basically disappeared for the past 10 years. Like, where the hell is Denzel? Uh, Jerome like, and Israel Esquire. Yeah, I guess flight. That was recently. Fences. Fences. Hey, fences. He's doing, he's doing a fences lot of like good. theater stuff lately. Fences is good. I like fences. Uh, Equalizer 2, I guess. Um, he D Denzel is fucking incredible. And watching this movie uh, and also Unstoppable, which I saw recently as well. It's just like, God damn, there's just nobody like Denzel right now. This no, man was on the level. He's one of the most magnetic forces I've ever seen uh, on screen. Like it is just you cannot stop looking at him in any given moment. And uh, he improvised during all of his standout scenes for the most part, even certain lines and scenes with like Jodie Foster, um, the, the Ivy League line. He made that up. And I was thinking in the moment, I was like, she is like Jodie Foster's Ivy League. Is he like making fun of her? <laughs> and he, yeah, he, he just like sprung it on her. And you can see in the interrogation scenes because the most of the people get, being interrogated are not actors that you would ever see in, you know, much. They're not uh, like the highest caliber. Yeah. Uh, nothing against them. Uh, but he is throwing shit at them and you're seeing genuine reactions. And it feels so different from the rest of the movie. Because the think rest that of the movie is is a lot lower grade than that to me. Well, I mean, you are right that normally I'm not a big fan of that style of filmmaking, of the cutting back and forth between current times and past times, because I think it, it can be a little bit disorienting or feel disingenuous to the main plot that you're seeing in the prior timeline. But I think that does work so well in that scene one because of Denzel and two because of the stylization that Spike Lee puts on it like it is it looks like, like the it is so graded looking at those yeah. shots that it feels like you are just watching something completely foreign to yourself. And I think that I mean, we'll get into it more whenever we get into the spoilers for this movie, but kind of how you are just as disoriented as Denzel, which I think is one thing that Spike Lee does incredibly with this movie is that you don't know who the good guys or the bad guys are. And they do touch on that a little bit with the racial profiling with the Arabic person who gets kind of thrown out onto the streets and everything else that there's the one cop who's just like, oh, my God, he's a fucking Arab. Like, because it is. Spike Lee has a big thing for New York post 9-11. This movie and 25th Hour both kind of tap into that sense of New York paranoia following 9-11, um, which I think is like an important thing that it was less a concern about like black culture at that time in New York than it was for foreign culture and just general xenophobia, which is still a thing that's happening widely in oh, America yeah. anyways. Oh, yeah, 100%. I mean, I... I just think that I because again, because we just saw do the right thing and, you know, with the caveat that this wasn't written by Spike Lee, knowing that he is capable of really going more deep into those topics and really fleshing them out. It felt a little bit watered down here, um, but that look just because there's certain things that don't work in the movie doesn't mean I didn't enjoy the movie. Yeah. The I still movie's it. still, it's still a great time. Like it's still a super entertaining movie. It's just, 
I'm just pointing out the fact that like, I know that Spike Lee is capable of so much more um, than what this movie gives us. But that doesn't mean that every single one of his movies has to be to that caliber. Um, it's not necessary. It's totally okay to put out one that it's, it's just a little bit more down the middle. Um, there's just certain aspects of this that kind of felt a little bit like he wanted to go there and then he wasn't allowed to because he was making a much more sort of mainstream type of movie. Um, and it felt a little bit like, all right, Spike, you know, like you can go a little bit, but don't, you know, don't overdo it. Cause we want to, we want this movie to make money. But I don't, I don't think that it's necessarily that he's fully hamstrung because for example, 25th hour, which came out four years before this, I believe. Yeah, it was uh, early 2002. Cause it was like one of the first New York movies after nine 11. Um, and spike does go harder in that movie. And that's another movie that he did not write. Um, in fact, some of the stuff that Spike Lee has written lately, I haven't been as big of a fan of. Like, I actually think that some of the script stuff in Black Klansman is some of the stuff that doesn't age the best for me in that movie. I think that the direction of it is incredible. I think that the performances by John David Washington and Adam Driver are incredible. But some of the dialogue just gets really clunky, which is kind of one thing that I have with some of Spike Lee's weaker stuff. I mean, I think they really, of course he struck gold with do the right thing, but I, I don't, I don't dismiss it as just, he didn't write this. So that's where the faults in the dialogue come because I think that he can still work around having another chief writer of the screenplay. Yeah. For me, it's that this guy wrote it who hasn't really done. He he's done like one more big movie that is a similar type of deal. And then, I think like nothing else essentially. Um, I I just I don't know. I I don't mean to like make it seem like this movie is perfunctory. Like it's worth watching. It's a good movie. Uh, I just it seemed like they were all. It was such an unbelievable lineup of creatives who were in service of something that was beneath them to me just a little bit, uh, and that's fine. Like a lot of movies are like that, but for me, it's not just like clunky. like crazy expository dialogue uh pacing actually was a bit of an issue for me uh like this is like a quick math movie for me because i think this yeah this movie is about clive owen is a bank robber and uh denzel washington and chiwetel ejiofor are detectives on the case along with like willem dafoe etc so i liked uh the final 20 minutes or so which i are we spoiling where are we going um, with this? Let's let's uh, let's give the marker now. It's on Netflix. Check it out. It's a fun movie. I recommend it. Um, it's a good time, and it's a lot easier to stomach than something like Do the Right Thing. Um, not as good, but definitely breezier, more entertaining. It's a fun watch. not more entertaining but but on a similar level i just i feel i i feel the need to be more critical of things that i like but i don't love rather than like if something's bad like we can all just shit on it all day and it won't change a thing it's just things like this where like i know they could have been so much better like pretty easily because i think the final 20 or so minutes is when denzel's got his white hat and he's fucking wheeling and dealing and and the settings are changing. The scenery is incredible. The shots can become a little more versatile. Uh, and Denzel is free to cook a little bit more. And I I don't know why that is just the very end of the movie when we very easily could have gotten out of this hostage situation, like at the end of the second act, at the very least. We could have had maybe 45 minutes of him wheeling and dealing and deciding what to do with the knowledge that he has and whether or not yeah. to speak truth to power. Because this um, is a two hour. This is a two hour movie. Yeah, and as opposed we only to get we only get to the end of the hostage situation until like maybe the hour forty mark. I kind of yeah. say yeah, that's that's what I'm saying. So that that like the vibe of the end, not the way that everything wraps up, the, but the general feel of it is uh, better to me than you know we spend maybe twenty minutes being like, well, they they it must not be a robbery. Like they don't you know they don't actually want a plane. Like what do they want? There's a lot of wondering what they want, and it gets a bit redundant. 
and we could have moved to, I think, greener pastures. I, I, I just I think feel like you're, the, oh, sorry. Go ahead, Ernest. I did feel like the that wondering did carry me through pretty well. Like the the not giving you all the information about what Clive Owen was actually up to. Um, I did feel like that kept me pretty intrigued for most of the movie um, and just kind of like, whoa, you know, what's the real plan? The, it was a good amount of information withheld, but I do think that it could have been trimmed up just a bit. There are just there are a lot of scenes that mirror each other in which two characters are thinking, well, he must not want to play. And this guy's too smart. What is it like it, that happens like three or four times? And that's not super necessary to me. I well, guess. see, so you talk about like extending the ending, but I think that that would change the tone of the movie entirely, because I think that for a movie that is pretty much all just set in this one location, I think that it is pretty snappy that as soon as you realize, OK, one hostage gets released, we have to think through like, all right, we have to send them food. And then that is OK. They know that we're bugging them on this food because they're just playing like a loop of just some random person, some random president's speech. Then it moves on Albanian. to the next hostage. Then it like it, it. I think that it is pretty snappy with the pacing that I was never bored while watching this. Also, I know it's it's one of those things where it's very clear that uh, um, Russell Gerwitz patted himself on the back whenever he thought of this. But the whole thing of like uh, whenever I leave him, I'd be good and ready. I'm going to walk right out that front door. And then he yeah. actually <laughs> does. But that doesn't make it any less awesome when he does. As soon as you see him run into uh, run into Denzel and place the diamond in his pocket. I think that the ending of this movie is absolutely perfect. I think that it's all set up because Denzel and Clive Owen have like this almost like a bromance kind of a thing building there. It really is like it's almost it's reminiscent of heat is like a huge, of course, uh, inspiration for this movie. Less so with the robbing sequences and more so with the uh, the relationship between Al Pacino and uh, De Niro, like just because the admiration, the admiration for each other yeah. and the the certain level of respect because of course Clive Owen hates the cops. And of course Denzel hates this, uh, bank robber person, but they both respect each other's intellect so much and respect each other as people. And the only time that that ever comes into question is when Denzel comes in, and he tries to tackle him out the door and he says, you cross the fucking line. Like that was it. Yeah. Because before that they did kind of, they were able to almost make like quips with each other whenever they were on the phone and everything. Um, I love yeah, the- no, absolutely. Um, and would it, I mean, it obviously wouldn't shock you to learn that they were planning on sequels. Um, and that's what the end of this movie felt like to me. Like it felt like they were setting up uh, another yes. meeting between these two. They were never able to secure funding, of course. Um, yeah, you're you're right because that's the whole thing about like this thread of uh, the Christopher Plummer character sort of being this kind of menacing old man uh, who you don't really know how menacing he really is at the beginning at all, and and more of that is revealed as the as the story goes on. But that plot thread is not wrapped up as neatly as you would want it to. So of course it does like lend itself to another story um, to kind of chase that thread yeah, more. That one. And then I like, I love the idea of this heist. Like it, you know, it's like a, it's like a Soderbergh style, like well thought out thing, of course. Um, yeah. The Clive perfectly Owen, set up dominoes. Exactly. Um, but for me, Clive Owen got, a lot of screen time for us to not learn much at all about him. And I want to know anything behind his motive aside from like what he said, we don't get a ton of that. Not that, or the thing is, or I could learn less and like take what we got, but then I think he would need less screen time because we're getting a lot of him, but we're not, uh, gleaning anything. See, I, I like, like it, it reminds you, it reminded me at least of just like whenever I'm watching any kind of a movie, I'd rather, the movie end and me still have a dozen questions then me end and me feel sedated and have too much of everything handed to me. I love I'm how not this Hunter. movie. <laughs> that is so mean. No, I'm just saying, no, like, no. Cause what I was going to say is that 
his character, it's almost reminiscent of me. Of course, it's not as good of a movie, not as good of a performance, but of like something like a Javier Bardem in No Country for Old Men, where we spend a lot of the movie with him and we have no idea what the fuck is going on with this guy's psyche. We just see his actions. And that's something that I love is like that kind of especially I mean, No Country comes out a year after this. This is kind of a peak for. And then uh, Dark Knight comes out a year after that in 2008, where it's just kind of these menacing, mysterious bad guys that you don't know about, know a lot about, but you want to learn more about everything about them. There's plenty. Yeah, there's plenty of cases in which that works really well. I guess my issues in no country, uh, they're not in the movie. They don't keep asking the why. They're mostly are focused on the how and like the where and what is he doing and what is he about to do? Whereas in this movie, they are they keep on introducing the question of why is he doing this? And then it never. Well, is see, I don't think that it is really about the why. I think that they like Clive Owen bookends the movie with his whole little thing about like the who is me. This is who I am. This is my name. I don't repeat myself. And it focuses on the how I don't necessarily I don't think the movie is concerned with the why or anything like well, that. They, like, I think it's all they ask it a lot. But I think that I think that that's the whole thing is that the detectives are asking the wrong question. And I think that's something that Clive Owen keeps getting at is it's not about you shouldn't be asking why I'm doing this. You should be asking how I am going to do this. Uh, sure. Um, generally I'll, I'll say it. I wasn't a huge fan of Clive in this movie. Um, I, I don't know where the disconnect is between us be- because I like Clive and plenty of stuff, but he, to me, this movie smelled like a paycheck movie for most of the people in it. it and uh, Spike as well, because I know that he has directed not, not just like content or whatever. He has put more effort into a lot of movies than he put into this one. Uh, and that, I don't know, Clive just... Like it was intentionally flat, but flat is flat, I guess, unless you're like insanely good. I like how hunky he is. Oh, he's, he's, he's a little he's dreamy. He's a hunk and a half. Yeah. And he has to cover up his face most of the movie. I was like, come on, let me see those pearly blues. Where are you at, Clyde? These are these are just vibes I'm getting, Hunter. I'm just riding my wave over here and you're riding yours. And you know what? That's fine. It's fine. We're, we haven't disagreed in a while on this podcast. So I'm I'm kind of <laughs> I'm kind of glad that this is happening. You hate I Spike wanna... Lee. You don't you don't stand with Spike. It's fine. I'm here. I hear you. I, I oh. did want to shout out the um the production design, like the look of the bank, I think is great. They built a lot of those indoor sets. And like you were saying, Hunter, it it doesn't so much of the movie is set in this kind of very contained location. And for the most part, it never really gets boring. They find really cool ways to kind of make it interesting when you're kind of just stuck in the same spot for most of the movie, Uh, whether you're in the bank or you're like in the street outside the bank or you're in that crammed. I love the van. van. I love that crew in the van, too. Mm-hmm. Um, like that Defoe. was just a, that was a fun hang. Yeah, th- that was there were a lot of fun. Defoe, I feel like I some people will say that he was thrown away in this movie, but I feel like it was the perfect use of small amount of Defoe because he just got a few moments to go full Defoe. But no, he never. Come on, he does not go. He full Defoe. But you get like you get these little hints of like that's in there. Like the, he is restrained in this movie, but I actually really there is like no Hark. Okay, so he doesn't he doesn't go full Defoe, but I I really like like what he does as just the like seventh guy on the cast in this movie. He's really good at blending. Yeah, he's I mean he's done this multiple. He he gets like the vibes of his movies. I'm interested. Like nothing. There's never been any news about it. Now I think the press cycle would pick up like in junkets uh, a little a little snippet from him about how it may have been tough with him acting with Denzel because the, the same thing would happen in the lighthouse when he didn't get along with Pattinson because Defoe is method and he likes being ultra prepared and Denzel is throwing everything. At Defoe them. like Defoe I, like joined the NYPD in order to do this like <laughs> seven line role. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, Denzel is like, no, I obviously Defoe is like the king, but Denzel comes in and just fucking bowls everyone over with yeah. like line. He just thought of right then. I, <laughs> like I do want to un- unbelievable. Shit. I do want to, go because it's it's a much bigger plot of the story than i remembered as a kid but just your guys's general thoughts on the jodie foster christopher Plummer character and their relationship i 
I have a lot of thoughts about it because the it the inclusion of that storyline is like the main thing that separates this from an extremely standard uh, heist genre movie. Like oh, this, yeah. like that was one of the first curveballs it threw. Where I was like, okay, that at least is is different. Like not a ton has been anything, nothing I haven't seen before, but this. Uh, it's very interesting. It raised, like we said, like I said, it raises a lot of questions. Um, I, Jodie Foster is unbelievable. Uh, Christopher Plummer, uh, is a pretty damn good actor. They're both, they're both fucking killer. And it also makes way. So we get a couple of incredible oneers where Denzel and Jodie Foster are both just acting the shit out of those lines. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like borderline, uh, intimate with the, how close they are and the slow zooms. Uh, two of the best shots of the movie. Um, so ultimately, I thought it was a net positive inclusion of the movie, whether or not, you know, it was it may have been sloppily executed, I guess. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I think the fact that they included it at all is commendable. You know, I, I said earlier that it, it felt a little bit like, you know, watered down that they didn't explore it further. Um, but. I like the fact that it was even there in the first place, you know, having this guy who built a bank from Nazi money, like dirty, dirty fucking blood yeah. money well, from it, the Nazis. <laughs> that is a good touch. It's you know? fascinating. And and like I said, uh, I would have loved more of the last 20 minutes, not just because Denzel is like on his king shit <laughs> with that white hat, but because uh, it could have been it could have become like a secondary battle in the movie between Denzel and Jody, both leveraging for power, both blackmailing each other. Um, and I, I was all about all that shit when it was happening. So like, yeah, my general thoughts are, I think this is like, this is my favorite type of Jodie Foster performance is this kind of like very cool, calm and collected woman. Unbelievably in power, sharp, super, super sharp, super smart. I mean, it's kind of, it's everything without the breaking point of her performance in Silence of the Lambs, without that like very third act of silence. Um, it's still that somebody who just like has all of their shit together. I love what she does in this movie. And going back to your thing about extending the third act, I think I liked like I'm glad that there wasn't ever a sequel to this movie because I think that all of the pieces are there for you to put whatever conclusion you want to on this movie. I think it's one thing that I like about it is that it just ends with Denzel looking at the diamond and you don't, is he going to use that diamond to propose to his girl? Like, what is he going to do well, with this? One thing is for sure about that ending is he's about to do some good. Yeah. Fucking. Well, that is yeah. for sure. She got the handcuffs and everything. As she says, the handcuffs are going to get cold. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. They're going to, they're going to have some just killer sex right when the credits roll. We should have heard them having sex as yeah. the credits um, cascade down the street. He like penetrates as it cuts to black. I, so weirdly, if I was going to like, say that somebody isn't giving it their all in this movie i'd say it's christopher Plummer. the thing is that he's so good that he can kind of when he's giving 50 percent in a movie it's still better than 99 percent of all actors ever um so i think that he is good in this movie but if anything i did want a little bit from him a little bit more from him as an actor, uh, especially kind of as we reach that third act where people realize his dirty past, maybe a big Christopher Plummer reaction thing. But I guess his whole direction was just to be this stoic bank banker, bank owner who's kind Another, of put everything behind him now. And now all of his past is getting dug up. Um, I couldn't find anything about how this specifically affected the movie. But this movie shot in 39 days, which is uh, really tight, especially for a movie with an insane cast like this with crazy, conflicting, busy schedules. Um, and a lot of the time when when a movie is on a schedule like this and you're wondering, like, why a certain character ended up a certain way or why we didn't get that one scene. It's because the shit just had to be cut because things were I mean, filmed in this. A very that makes way. sense, especially with Christopher Plummer, because the only two people who he acts with at all are what one or two scenes with Jodie Foster and then one scene with Denzel. Otherwise, it's just him in like the same room, pretty much, or like two rooms that were probably just he has on the that, same He has set. that moment. 
he walks into the van and like sits yeah, down, I guess, tries to make himself at home. But he probably they're like, whoa, he buddy. probably shot all of his stuff in two days. Like, and then that was that was it for Christopher Plummer as a character. That, yeah, that's what I'm saying. You don't really have a lot of time to sink into your character if you're on set for like. Less I but I do like the the writing choice of him about how it's never actually explicitly stated, but how he, despite putting this. Uh, horrible past behind him of getting rich on blood money getting rich on nazi money he can't fully let go of that past and he still has to keep this reminder to himself about his past and what he did um and i i really like the whole setup of him still keeping these like this proof of him working for the nazis when he very easily could have just destroyed it i think that that was actually just a really great writing choice for him because i think that that is a level as much as we like to think of these billionaires as being complete sociopaths, which grant a lot of them are, but they still deep down hold some kind of guilt and uh, regretfulness over how they actually got their claim to fame. They will die unhappy. I, I wish we can, that, we can yeah. hope. I wish that the Jeff the Bezos, if you're listening, had, <laughs> I, I wish the script would have had a little bit mm, something to tie Clive Owen to that a little bit more because all I got was like for some reason he found out about this and he just wants that, to steal big, from uh, him. That's a big cue. How on earth did he gain the intel that this exists? Yeah, like I was hoping that like maybe he's Jewish or something or like there's some sort of like tie there with his family to like the Nazis and the Holocaust or something like that. Um, The way it's presented in the movie, is just like, Oh, he just wants to get rich off of this shitty Nazi guy that he somehow found out about. That's, that's a fair, that's a fair criticism. If anything, that is, if I was going to add anything to this movie, it would be some kind of a link of whether he is Jewish. His name is like Dalton Russell. So, I don't know. Um, but he I, I, maybe he was Jewish or he knew somebody from like the Swiss army or he like he was somehow connected to this. That is something that was missing in the story. But here's here's me. a question. What if what if Clive Owen would have shown his face like way, way less in this movie? What if, like, he was mostly in the mask and the sunglasses? Tom Hardy style. Yeah. I I feel like if you detach yourself from Clive Owen more, then that issue sort of goes away because you can project more onto the character that the movie doesn't give you. You know, I think I'm just spitballing at this point, but I, I feel like because we do see more of his face, we are like more uh, inclined to be like, what's this guy's story? You know, what's his deal? Where's he been? What does he know? Obviously you, you want to see that performance because he's a great actor and you don't want to be deprived of, of seeing his performance and having it be covered up, but in just the mechanics of the story and how it plays out, maybe it would have been better if he was kind of covered up more. I usually lean on the side of if you're a great actor, I'd rather your performance not be covered up. Um, I mean, Tom Hardy is kind of the ultimate example of this because now he's it's just kind of a running joke that he is behind a mask at all times with his performances. And it's just solely acting with his eyes. And that's how you have to know that's Tom Hardy. Um, I I'm glad that we got to see Clyde because I think that Clyde has I think that he has a very subtly expressive face. It's not something that's very big, but I think that seeing the way that especially in his moments when he's on the phone with Denzel or something like that, seeing how calm he is, is very unsettling. And I think that if you're, behind a mask it can kind of take away from that a little bit because you don't know what's underneath in the mask you don't know how he's feeling but being able to see his full face and focus and see that he is just so deadpan almost is really unsettling 
Yeah, but the, it, it might it it might even add to the chaos of the movie a little bit more because they're putting all the hostages in the same mask and the same outfits. So it could be like you're more, even more disoriented because there are these moments where um, you kind of don't know, you know, when it's flashing forward to the interrogations, you don't know exactly who is a thief and who's a hostage 100%. You have to kind of put those pieces together yourself and eventually, you know, it is fully revealed. But um you know, maybe if they could have leaned into that even more by having you guess, like, is that Clive Owen in there? You know, like that that could have even been a, an even more of a disorienting feature. Yeah, I, I mean, that's one of the reasons why I really love those interview sequences is because especially we have the moments where it's somebody that's when you realize that people that are in the operation are actually going like undercover with the hostages themselves with a, in a couple of different instances. There were some people who were involved who weren't even the people who actually broke in. They were already like the, um, the Jewish rabbi was somebody who was just already in the bank at that time. I had already like just obviously like made friends with some of the bank tellers and stuff like that that were working there. I think that that is great as far as dis disorientation goes. And it adds a lot whenever rewatching the movie, because I knew some of these people were going to end up being on the final job. So just kind of watching them acting from the get go and then trying to like put everything together, like the rabbi. And then I believe not the woman, but was somebody, the other guy who uh, acts out at one point, I think that's James ransom, by the way, from it chapter two yeah. fame. Um, yeah, that's him who like <laughs> him, like seeing them, they're in the line whenever they strip down and everything else. Cause there's only two people who are actually standing people up at that time, two or three people. Yeah, I wanted to ask you guys, what did you think of the little PSP bit with the little kid with the so GTA knockoff? I I read, uh, well, the fun fact about this, that uh, that was not in the script and Spike added it because at that uh, point in time, I don't know if he still agrees with this, but he didn't like uh, that gangster rap was about violence. And so he wanted to say something about that by making like a cartoonishly garish gta game yeah it felt a little bit tacked on like it it felt a little bit like because it, it, that never really goes anywhere it's just like here's a thing um but it, it it just adds to my point about like feeling like spike wanted to explore things like that more you know the nature of violence and like how it's communicated and even like how it's uh, perceived by children as well. Another another fun fact about that is that he cast that kid because he saw him on Chappelle's show. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That's funny. Um, and then the other thing I wanted to ask you guys is the um, um, uh, oh oh oh. So there is a Inside Man sequel. Actually, it's called Inside Man colon Most Wanted. And it doesn't have Clive or Denzel? It doesn't have anybody. It's not even yeah. made by Spike Lee, but it is streaming on Netflix right <laughs> now. Um, it looks awful, and we should definitely see it. Man, it, it was a Netflix movie. It just went straight to Netflix. <laughs> oh, it has Rhea Seahorn. As like the the agent, I guess, one of the FBI agents. So we got to watch this man. movie now so we can have some answers. I wonder, is are we thinking Christopher Plummer is going to make a, uh, a guest appearance? He'll make a cameo? Yeah, um, it was supposed to be uh, Kevin Spacey, but they had to recast. <laughs> I, I think this is the last movie that ever went just straight to DVD and not even like streaming or something, anything. And then yeah. they, you know, got picked. This is just such like a, a garbage like idea to bring back this 13 years later with a worse cast. <laughs> with literally like, nobody. Out of here. Um, yeah, it that's looks a straight like they to just, DVD movie. It looks like they just remade the movie. Like it it doesn't even look like they're re like they're continuing the the plot in any way. Just looks like a remake. I don't know for sure. I was trying to do some digging. Um to find out if the reason why they didn't make it was because Spike wouldn't come back on. But if not, I feel like that is a factor in it that Spike Lee, Spike Lee doesn't do sequels. 
and no, he wanted he wanted to make it. That's what Drew said earlier that that he couldn't get the funding for. I'm it. not sure that he did, but the studio well, did. Spike Lee uh, has never done a sequel. Was my thinking that he just wouldn't he wouldn't want to dip like he's all he is a guy who is all about moving on to the next thing like even whether it made a bunch of money whether it affected a bunch of people whatever um and i think that's yeah why. and then if you if you can't it also comes down to if you can't get one of the three main cast members you might as well not especially with spike and denzel because they've they've worked together like four times i think mm. um so if you don't get one you're probably not going to get the other you this know? is this is his most successful movie though financially yeah so you like, think that it they would jump amount. on it, it was like a 40 mil budget and it made 184 what, like 100 something million yeah. yeah like that's a huge hit i mean not even i think uh black clansman black clansman made 93 mil so that one didn't even break 100 so he he again he he got paid with this good for him you know he made a entertaining ass movie with a great cast i think the the other thing about the cast is like even though this isn't anybody's best performance. They all click, you know, everybody fits mm. in really well and nobody's out at acting each other. Obviously yeah, Denzel no. is Denzel, but he still melds in with everybody else. And then, yeah. Uh, well, banter wise, him and Chu Attell pull it off. So goddamn would... well. And obviously a lot of that comes down to the improvised scenes, uh, and a lot of the other banter, because we are introduced to a lot of like uh, very tangential characters that are not played by, you know, names. Uh, some of them can really not pull off the lines because the lines aren't that good. Who is a place. and Chuatel and Denzel could make any. I was going to ask, good, uh, you know? who is your favorite yeah. interview sequence? Because mine is uh, easy for me. Mine is um, the old lady. <laughs> The old yeah, where he's like, no, 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 no you no, stay. No, 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 you can. No, stay. You run the bank. <laughs> no, but you run the bank. <laughs> or um, another one of my favorite sequences is when they're talking to the woman who helps rob the bank, and they're like, uh, "You and the other woman fit the uh, body profile," and it's, <laughs> it's like not even. It's kind of half played for laughs and half like Spike Lee knows like that this is a fucked up thing that police do is that they're like well they said she's got big tits and like that on only you and one other person could meet that and Chuatel's like staring at her boobs during that sequence yeah which it's a little it, yeah no it's like it's not even I don't think that it's supposed to be played for laughs I think that is Spike does a couple of different things where throughout this movie where it kind of points to how the police can get in their own way a lot of times. Yeah. Um, they're rough on the hostages. They're very rough on the hostages. They, they do not hold them. back that at all um, about how rough yeah. they are with people, especially like the, yeah, guy with the heart uh, condition and the the Defoe is like yelling into the the loudspeaker like cease fire, cease fire, and they're still like yeah. unloading the rubber bullets. There's that. I mean, there's kind of the whole thing that happens in law enforcement where people will go over each other to try and take somebody off of the job, which is kind of a little bit overdone in movies, but it does just kind of add to the whole theme of like, maybe the police aren't the best people to handle this situation right now. Maybe it's just this one detective. Like it takes a, a one-on-one -on -one relationship to really understand what's going on. Um, yeah. Another thing uh, I was going to say was, well, well, before we get away from that point though, I think that's a great thing to bring up right now with like all these police brutality protests that are happening because the media's representation of police is a key factor in all of this and how society views police, right? In our, in our ketchup episode, um, that you'll hear, I shouted out the movie The Last Action Hero with uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger. And he plays a cop in that movie. And he's a hero. And he's this big, like, action, spectacular guy. And there's a, there's a history, especially, uh, you know, way before Inside Man in the 80s. Look at Die Hard, you know? That is the ultimate representation of cop as action hero. You know, and if you have a whole generation of guys who grew up loving Die Hard and saw them themselves 
wanting to become a cop because they wanted to be just like John McClane and save the day and be this hardcore action hero. Then you start to get into a problem of police thinking that they are in an action movie and that they can save the day through, yeah, you know, and radical now, rogue policing. Well, and now uh, they think they're in like Call yeah. of Duty or whatever. You know? <laughs> yeah, they're going like full no Russian on everybody and every just public protest. No, but that is something that I think that works really well about this movie is the realism of it. This movie, you can pick nits with. Uh, Clive Owen's plan exactly and how it works, but the world feels very real. This feels like how it would go down if there was a hostage situation with 50 people in it. Like the whole Iranian hostage situation was only 20, 30 years, 40 years ago at this point, 30, 40 years ago. Um, and that was a big standoff for multiple days where we didn't know what was going to happen with those hostages. And we had to take it very slow and we couldn't rush the people who were doing that. And like from that perspective, I think that this movie does do a good job of painting what this kind of a real life situation would be, especially if you know that the person is doing it is smart, because a lot of people that are doing these actions aren't necessarily the pe the people who have thought out every single thing but when you realize that somebody who's like oh no he planned on getting caught this whole time he planned yeah. on the police coming because he was smart enough to know this is new york city a cop is just going to come walking past here and see smoke coming out the door like he has already thought out every single action that would happen here i think that works out geniusly the the yeah the the logistics of it didn't bug me uh, like the realism of the procedure of it all um the realism of the characters i thought was a lot worse but then uh i don't know i just well i think that's what makes this movie so entertaining is just seeing these two guys the criminal and the cop be so good at what they're yeah. doing you know it does take you just a minute wanna to see that. Uh, it takes a minute to get there, and then once it gets there, you're like, fuck, yes, this rules. Because Especially Denzel. I mean, well, Clive Owen is good, but Denzel, it's like you well, want to see that guy. You want, yeah, good. you want him to be in every shot. Um, and speaking to that point, Hunter, like the, the realism and the uh, hyper-focus on procedure in this movie reminded me a lot of Contagion, um, along with uh, the all-star cast and the all-star director – and uh, my general, I, I think this movie is definitely better than Contagion because it does a better, way better job of allocating time because it's not spreading us uh, among like 10 different stories. Um, however, it gave me the same feeling where I was like, literally no person in this movie is at their best right now. Like they've all done better except for the that's writer. He probably has. That's I mean, that's a good that that's not that's not a very uh, bad a uh, comparison between those two films as far as all star casted trying to make a statement that doesn't even necessarily land so much. But same thing with Contagion. Once again, Inside Man is a better movie than Contagion. But they're both just really fucking entertaining movies. And maybe it's because I'm a sucker for these type of movies. Heat is like one of the best movies of all time made. So like in any kind of a heist movie, anything where it's the cop and criminal realizing that they have more similarities to each other than they have differences. I'm just, I'm, I'm in, I'm always in on these. No, types I, of movies. I love those. I just, I've got like, you know, a hint of that in this movie. Especially compared to Heat, which obviously, you know, you're not comparing the two. Like, oh, I know no, you're not this is definitely better than Heat. Fucking... Um. <laughs> oh, my yeah. God. No, 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 also, no, no. Heat, heat is three hours. So heat no, exactly. Has it's time. way longer. And it and it well, it, it's more it's a lot more focused on character than it is process. Um, and that to me is the one thing I really wanted from this movie is more uh, more focus on character, which would then give the actors more to bite into aside from like just literally saying what uh you know what stabler says on law and order svu and not that that's uh always a bad thing you need exposition in stories like this but sometimes it was just like i know what these people can do and you're just like not clearing the lane for them at all you're like putting them in the wrong position on so, the basketball court you're you know but you're i have a question though is like that you you said that it's exposition heavy but i i disagree with that just because i think that it's not 
so expository because there are still so many questions left that the continuously asking the why of the process is kind of the point in itself is that the why is the wrong question. You should be asking more about who this person is and what they are doing and not why they are doing it, because that's something that you won't well, get that, the answer that, to. Yeah, well, that's that's a separate issue because the exposition is like the what of it. And th like if you were to like highlight the script, the majority of what you'd be highlighting would be expository dialogue. Um, which is, uh, you know, that's baked into how these things work, of course, because you're trying to solve a mystery through a very complicated process. Uh, however, there was there was ample time, I think, to put in more character detail, and they uh, did not do that, you know. Or just take away that that uh, I I don't even know if this would make for a for a better movie, but you take away that intent to explore the characters more, and then you just go all in on the the heist itself and the style of it you know you go full oceans yeah because yeah because then you get him yeah you get something like die hard or oceans or any of those which are absolutely killer i mean this felt die just hard like has the character in it though oh yeah well no not character but i meant that movie is less obsessed with process because it's him going rogue and figuring out process alone yeah. so it's not a bunch a series of discussions about what to do next uh it's it's a lot of showing uh but it could have it feels like it's stuck somewhere that's a little bit in between full fun because it has the entertainment factor and then like sort of a uh, strict adherence to reality. Um, I think they could have gone one way or the other, and I think it would have been a little better for me. Yeah, I, I guess. I mean, that's just different because I like that it has the elements of both. I like that this is like kind of a popcorn flick that is trying to say something about society. Yeah. Most movies like this don't yeah. even bother with that. You know, they they'll they'll be like, yeah, the guy was bad and he just wanted to get rich. I, and that's it. I think I think moving forward, we'll have a lot more movies like this. Like there they'll be like straight for like a general audience, but they will like introduce ideas even if they don't explore them because that's becoming more the norm or like a requirement Look, I'm in not, your movies now. I'm not, saying, this, this, this I'm not saying this always works out great. I mean, Joker is trying to say something about society and it just yeah. doesn't. So, yeah, but people loved Joker, dude. It was nominated for 11 <laughs> Oscars. Like, you know, so this movie was not nominated for a single Oscar. So it's like it's not it's not always going to be everybody's cup of tea. Um, this movie is 14 years old, though. And at this point, it would be a miracle to have a big uh, star driven movie that's not based on anything. That's not part of a franchise, um, fully original sort of genre movie. I, I, I don't see a movie like this getting made today. I would see a movie like Inside Man colon Most Wanted getting made today uh, because it was <laughs> and it came out last year. Um, so you hey, either Olympus go full fallen, trash, buddy. you either go full trash or you go full, like, you know, huge, ultra, big budget franchise movie. This type of thing, um, I don't know. It, it just, it wouldn't work. What if, and, uh, um, what, what if we steal a segment from rewatchables? Would this work as a 10 episode Netflix series? Um, yes. Um, but it, it would have to fall, I think somewhere in between procedural and single arc, because I don't know if you can stretch this single. And I mean, you could, because plenty of miniseries have stretched one event you know, that over a short period into a very long series. I wouldn't say possible. 10 episode. I think, I think a six episode miniseries is the way to go with this. Okay. Six. If it's six, I would have the hostage situation end in the middle. So episode, that's what I would of, do too. Episode, end of episode three, you get to the end of the hostage situation. And then the next three episodes, you explore the whole Nazi blood money thing and denzel goes full fucking nuts yeah he's got that, that ring he's got that ring and he it's literally like lord of the rings he's trying to decide whether to use it for power and to corrupt himself or uh you know, i do want to i do want to know um for you guys 
Because I think I know what happens. I don't like no, no, but I have a theory of what happens at the end. How do you think this movie ends? Like, what is the unfilmed conclusion to this film? I think he. All right. So we know that Denzel knows that that Christopher Plummer's bad, but he doesn't know that it's Nazi shit yet. So it it hinges on whether or not he finds out that it's Nazi shit. If he doesn't find out it's Nazi shit, then he will probably keep chasing after it and keep, you know, quote unquote, following the ring to take this guy down. If he does find out it's Nazi shit. I guess he also takes him down. I I don't see a scenario where he keeps the shit to get rich and be a a, a rich guy that got lucky. I don't I see think that the bigger, happening. The bigger question is who is playing this role? Um, because the reason that Denzel's prime was like truncated to a lot of people is that he was just older than people thought when he got big. Because he was on Saint Elsewhere in the early eighties. So then for his peak to come so much later, he's 65 years old now. Yeah. Uh, so and I I think he might be like one of the top like two or three most irreplaceable actors in terms of like recasting who in the fuck could. Bring oh, well, I what don't mean about brings. recasting. I'm just saying, like, what do you think happens with these characters in this story after the movie? Oh, no, I know. I'm just asking a, a separate question because that's such an impossible. It's like, you know, trying to redo Training Day or whatever. It's just like, yeah, because he alone raises this movie like two notches for me. Like he really he is what kept me interested more than uh, what was happening did. So who is who is that now? I don't think that there is anybody to do that. So my theory, but going back to my original question, my theory on what happens with this movie is I think that Denzel does get a little bit corrupted by all this. I think that he does realize that he's trying to make that first class. He's says like at some point in the movie, he's just like, he's just trying to like do this for himself. Like he is looking out for himself because that's what you have to do in this job. And yeah, well, then at the end, he's he's leveraging with think, the ring. Yeah, I think that, that is he's, he's he climbing. is climbing. He gets that first place job, but I think he keeps that diamond. And I think that as far as the Christopher Plummer role goes, I think that Christopher Plummer, that what he does is that he makes a copy of whatever that horrible documentation is of him working with the Nazis. He gets paid from Christopher Plummer and then he also exposes him because obviously he has some problems with him as a person what he's done and maybe he isn't even maybe it isn't about the money at all he did get some diamonds maybe that's enough for him but I think, I think that Christopher Plummer what goes I would do, down in the future of this movie that's yeah that's totally fair and then I also think uh he falls to the wayside because uh you could str- you could have an entire show about uh, Denzel versus Jodie Foster like that yes. plot line of their feud could fade and like his consequences could be met but then it could just be about them two clashing a powerful I guess dirty like lobbyist well that and, was that was fake uh, Rudy Giuliani and then a cop who, who no who she is I mean <laughs> oh she, yeah yeah she's essentially a lobbyist and then he is a cop who is made in the shade because of her yet is trying to circumvent her uh, that's a whole deal right there, you know. I, that, sadly, I wanted to go to Mount more of that. Sadly, in reality, the bad guys don't get taken down as easily, and what what most likely happens is the shit gets buried, and the higher ups make sure that this detective that's digging around fucking stops digging around, or else. And the shit gets snuffed out and nothing ever well, happens that's, to Chris. That is another thing that I love about this movie is how it ends. And his boss is just like, just bury it. No money was stolen. Yeah. No hostages were killed. Just bury it. It's gone now. Despite the fact that it was this huge pandemonium and you were worried for your life on if you were going to survive this, if other people are going to survive this, just after three days, it's just like it never even happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and especially because like the the chief probably knows that there's some sketchy shit going on and he doesn't want to touch it. 
because then that would involve people way higher than him who would just put a different chief in who does want to cooperate and who isn't trying to to do the right thing. Um, and I think that's another part of, of Spike pointing out like some of the um, the, I guess, like borderline corruption that happens in NYPD of, you know, cops like not wanting to really uh, pursue righteousness and justice because they would rather keep their jobs because there's a culture set up of uh, protection and not enough accountability. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Mm-hmm. Well, see you next week, everybody. <laughs> yeah, I think we could wrap it up there. Uh, let us know what you thought of Inside Man. If you saw it, it's on Netflix, like we said. Uh, next week is The Five Bloods. So we're excited for what Spike has cooking up next with his next joint. We hope it's good. Um, has there By been the any way, buzz on it? Uh, nobody n- nobody's really read seen it or said anything about letterbox i think that the embargo is over we're recording this on monday i think that it's not the embargo goes to tuesday i know the embargo just listed on king of staten island which also comes out this weekend so oh we that's might also have to do like week. a double review or something for that or just give it next week. i i'm way more interested in the five i am too jed apatow has burned me a couple of times so we'll see but I've heard good things about King of Staten Island. I'm hoping Defy Bloods is great. No, I, I fully believe that it's going to be good. I'm I'm excited for it. I'm excited for Bill Burr uh, get taken taking some spotlight in that movie. I I would watch uh, Bill Burr watch paint dry. Um, not not even always a big fan of his but he's a damn good fucking actor. Yeah, he pops Yo, up and stuff. And you're he like, was wow, in, okay. He was in the Mandalorian. In one episode, and he was. Is really that gonna good. be a thing to sell you to watch The Mandalorian? You said you would watch him watch paint dry, but would you watch him? Would well, you, does he? Would do you that watch in him like in a real performance where he actually acts and says lines and something? He threatens. <laughs> no, of course not. He threatens Baby Yoda's life. What so does that he, mean to you? Um, that's good. <laughs> Tell me. Speak on that, Drew. <laughs> speak on that. I just. <laughs> Please stop making me talk about these things. I just, I, I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to do this podcast anymore. I'm being just bullied on a weekly well, basis. Well, that's a Spike All Lee right. joint well, for you. So, uh. <laughs> um, let us know on Twitter at We Bought a Mic with any thoughts you may have. Email us at We Bought a Mic at gmail.com. Once again, we'll put links to donate to various uh, Black Lives Matter type funds and outlets that you should donate to uh, instead of us during this time. So please support that. Stay safe, stay healthy, and thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Bye.